Welcome back. In part two, Luke and I discuss the esoteric connections and intersections with the figures of Blake and Ginsberg. We talk about the influence of Emanuel Swedenborg and Gnosticism on the worldviews of both Blake and Ginsberg, how Ginsberg saw Buddhism and Gnosticism as being connected in a syncretic type way, and what contemporary artists could be viewed as, quote, carrying on the Blakeian torch in our own popular culture. Okay, so we have uh, laid a nice little foundation here with uh, with Blake and Ginsburg. So I'd like to now move on to talk about the esoteric connections to these two figures. So we know that Blake was influenced by Emanuel Swedenborg, who uh, lived from 1688 to 1772, looking at my notes here. Uh, Swedenborg uh, also claimed to have had visions. Um, spiritual insights and communications with entities from other planets, even other, you know, uh, yeah, not just not just on a on a kind of like a spiritual uh, realm in in our sense of the word and on an earthly plane, but also in other planets and other galaxies, mm-hmm. systems, and stuff. So, you could almost see a science fiction connection. Exactly. Right? Yes. <laughs> Journey into space. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Swedenborg claimed that the spiritual world is the quote-unquote real world and that what happens uh, here on Earth, our our human experience here on Earth is uh, very simply put, succinctly put, a type of practice session for the for the real thing but the 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 practice is also important though because what you're doing here influences uh, one's existence in the spirit world so with regard to Ginsburg my question for you is is anything known about whether or not Ginsburg was aware of uh, Swedenborg's writings so I haven't come across any, uh, I may be wrong, I haven't come across any reference to Ginsburg reading Swedenborg, but he definitely would have been aware of Swedenborg. I mean, he, Ginsburg was very well read. I mean, th- this is something that I, I suppose this is another element to my, to my work, is almost wanting to sort of show how, because I think Ginsburg has this reputation because of being so much connected to the counterculture and so much connected to a sort of a particular image of 60s counterculture which is quite goofy in some ways actually the holy goof was actually a phrase (laughs) that Ginsburg used himself of himself as well so and you you know you're there there's the um, crazy photo of him at the human being uh in San Francisco where he's kind of dancing around and just looking like a kind of total you know mad hippie really you know and um you know that was a you know that that was that play very playful very kind of childlike and and you know element to 60s counterculture and and to, you know was a big part of Ginsburg and was a big you know that was that was something that he and there's a the connection with childhood and child you know childlike elements is also a connection to Blake because Blake's songs of innocence and of experience can be seen as as works of children's literature as well in 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 some respects so so anyway i suppose what I'm trying to say is part of my work has been involved in almost wanting to kind of show that despite this way in which, you know, we see we might see Ginsburg as a kind of a sort of, you know, classic kind of goofy, hippie kind of figure um, and the connection with psychedelics and, you know, and all the rest. 
um, actually, you know, he, he was a highly intellectual, highly well, you know, very well-read figure who, who really, really, you know, knew his stuff and was, was continuously reading, all, you know, all sorts of different uh, texts, whether literary or philosophical or religious um, texts. So I don't know whether he whether he read much Swedenborg, but he, he definitely would have been aware of Swedenborg. And, and he, you know, as he, as I said, later in Gunsberg's life, especially from the sort of early 70s onwards, when he became a little bit more connected professionally with higher education and where he taught at different universities and taught courses on Blake as well, um, Ginsburg would also have, you know, he became increasingly knowledgeable about you know the sort of academic perspective on Blake, as it were, mm. and you know would have known even if he hadn't, even if he wasn't reading Swedenborg himself, he would have known about Swedenborg through kind of academic literature on Blake, as it were. So yeah. uh, in that yeah. later period of his life, anyway, mm. um, yeah. But but yeah, Swedenborg. I mean, Swedenborg. You know the the relationship between. I'm not so much of an expert on the relationship between Swedenborg and and Blake, but that is a very strong connection. So. And and Blake had a quite a complicated relationship with Swedenborg, where he he was very interested in in Swedenborg's uh, work uh, and attended a, a meeting in in London of the the Swedenborgian um, group, the church, um, and and then quite quickly kind of started to uh, to kind of see that it didn't quite seemed to work for him it wasn't quite that he started to find problems i suppose with swedenborg's Swedenborg work at the same time that he was also clearly fascinated by it because it did seem to in a way be you know quite similar to i suppose his own pre-existing yeah. perspective on things and um and so again uh, sorry blake's uh, work marriage of heaven and hell uh, which is this uh, is the is the work that, as I said earlier, contains se- several of these kind of famous aphorisms, uh, like the doors of perception and uh, and the the tigers of wrath, um, various different aphorisms. Not all of them, but many of them come from Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Um, and this work, Marriage of Heaven and Hell, in some ways is and it mentions it, it actually references Swedenborg and mentions Swedenborg's name at different points in it, um, but is usually seen as, if anything, a kind of a satire on Swedenborg as much as a tribute, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's, yeah, as I said, that's a little bit, you know, is, is not, there are other Blake scholars who are more, have more expertise in this than I do, but, uh, but the relationship between Blake and Swedenborg is a complicated one for sure. Um, but Ginsburg really, you know, he, he read, you know, he read a lot of different um, esoteric and religious and philosophical texts, you know, throughout his whole life. So uh, I would not be at all surprised if, if he'd if he'd read Swedenborg sort of in the original as well, right. as opposed to sort of through Blake. You know. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I guess just for my own uh, curiosity, my own interest, that would be mm. something that I would be like looking for if there are any mm. scholars out mm. there that, uh, mm. that uh, are working on anything like that now. If they happen to be listening to this podcast, get in touch with me. I'd like to know. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I've also learned from reading your work that uh, Ginsburg was also interested in Gnosticism. And in your article called Alan Ginsburg's Blakian Albion, I sense a very Gnostic feel, even though you weren't speaking directly about mm. Gnosticism, 
Uh, I had this feel of Gnosticism uh, in these words with regards to the terms used, such as awakening, trapped, uh, the fall, the fall of Albion. And these terms suggested to me the the quote-unquote Gnostic situation of being uh, you know, in the dark, you're trapped in this corrupted physical existence due to the fall of man, uh, unable to see the light, uh, need to be awakened to the truth, etc., etc. So, like I said, you weren't really specifically uh, mentioning Gnosticism here, but if you could go into a little bit more detail about Ginsburg's interest in Gnosticism and how he used Gnostic themes uh, in his own work, for example, you did write uh, an, in the article uh, with reference to a poem, Plutonian Ode, um, and there, there was a high, um, yeah, I think a Gnostic uh, connection there, Gnostic themes going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I've, so this, this connection between Ginsburg and Gnosticism is something which I haven't published so much on, but I have spoken on at different conferences. So actually at the um the Sway conference, the European Society for Study of Western Esotericism conference in Amsterdam, whichever year that was, you'll know uh, living there, I'm that sure. That was <laughs> so, 2019, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, at, that, at that conference I, I spoke on, on Ginsburg as student of Western Esotericism, um, but largely out there really I was talking about Ginsburg as a student of Gnosticism. And 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 this is a this is a kind of element that I've brought in to do you know mentioned in different academic publications, but still haven't really had a chance to to publish on it. Although I've although I've spoken about it, um. So yeah, Gins, I suppose I'm interested in the way in which I suppose we should start with the fact that Blake himself clearly is influenced by Gnosticism, um, and we haven't really spoken much about Blake's own um, uh, mythopoetic system and, no, and Blake's, Blake's, uh, <laughs> Blake's, Blake's own more, more kind of complex prophetic books, the ones which almost nobody read in his own time, yeah. basically, um, where um, uh, we, we can really, I mean, they, they are highly Gnostic uh, in, in the sense that, so, so Blake, for example, has a figure within his his sort of self-created mythopoetic system, but which also intersects with Christianity. Um, and Blake certainly considered himself to be a Christian, uh, you know, despite the fact that uh, you know he his 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 poetry and his his sort of self-created uh, spiritual mythological system clearly has elements that are you know quite very far from from kind of mainstream christianity this didn't stop right, blake right. still seeing himself absolutely mm -hmm. as a christian um but yeah so blake has a figure called Eureason um within his mythology um and Eureason is basically we can he is basically the gnostic demiurge yeldabaoth i mean it's it's hard to know exactly i mean so so Eureason is this kind of oppressive uh father god sort of figure who uh you know who who kind of oppressively uses 
um, in this case, kind of rationality and, and kind of reason uh, to to kind of oppress uh, others and, and to sort of enforce a kind of oppressive uh, uh, worldview. Um, but he he is, just despite the sort of element of, of reason and rationality within his within his, you know that he represents he's still very much a, a kind of spiritual figure this is within a kind of spiritual framework i suppose mm-hmm, you could say mm-hmm. it's spiritual psychological kind of framework that blake is creating um and it's yeah it's really so uh, the, those those elements that you just mentioned and quoted from from my essay on um alan ginsberg's blakean albion um where i'm talking about ginsberg's relationship with the figure of Albion, which is uh, you know pre-exists Blake, but which Blake also very much takes and sort of makes his own, and then um, sort of writing about how Ginsburg then draws on that. Um, that yeah, though, so that most of those 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 elements that you drew out there that you were referring to as as kind of particularly Gnostic, um, they're, they're from Blake really. I mean, they're, they're, this is kind of Ginsburg quoting Blake still almost. So. Mm-hmm. So there's a strongly Gnostic element in Blake's work. We, it's hard to say exactly how Blake encountered that. Partly, you know, the not the, I mean, and, and I am well aware that you know the, the the term Gnostic and Gnosticism is a kind of contested term, yes. as you know, as, as as you know, and so many of your guests have mentioned over over the years as well. And, um, but if we, you know, if we take a kind of basic element of of what we're you know describing as gnosticism you know to be this this idea of the demiurge of gnosticism and and the kind of myth of uh you know adam and eve being trapped within the garden of eden uh, and, and all of that uh, if we kind of take which is of course is just one element of some traditions that we've sometimes called gnostic yes. uh, but it, you know but if we kind of take that as you know as as this kind of central element of, of something that that can be usefully called gnosticism um there's yeah blake somehow comes across these ideas and it may be that they just emerge from his reading of the bible because many of these gnostic elements are still there in the in the canonical books of the bible i think and and you know some of them of course are you know in a way that obviously expressed to their fullest extent in the you know in the in the non-canonical you know gnostic uh uh books but um that they're also there in in the Bible, and, and so I think you know Blake's reading of the Bible, and he was so steeped in the Bible, and and had, you know read it ever since you know as a, as a young child, um, kind of continuously. Um, I think you know he may have just independently, to some extent, kind of read the Bible a little bit against the grain, as you know, as 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 is part of the sort of Gnostic technique almost, um, and coming you know and sort of come to to a sort of Gnostic understanding of things partly independently of of any external kind of influence from from actual sort of knowledge of gnostic tradition but um but he was also you know blake obviously clearly also had some knowledge of jewish kabbalah and of um of of those kind of jewish mystical traditions and so he you know he may have absorbed some kind of gnostic ideas partly through that as well although even his knowledge of the kabbalah would have been very much the kind of Christian Kabbalah, right. or the, the sort of uh, yeah, a particular version of of that. But <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in any case, um, there's a strong there's a strong connection between Blake's Blake's 
thought and 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 Gnosticism. But what I'm interested in, you know, in the in the the presentation that I gave uh, in the the Estway conference in in Amsterdam a few years ago, uh, is the way in which Ginsburg is also interested in Gnosticism not only through Blake, but actually had also independently read Gnostic uh, material on on Gnosticism. From quite early on, from from around the same time as Blake Vision, I think he'd first come across. He had a, a teacher at Columbia called Raymond Weaver, who's a literature uh, professor, um, expert on um, uh, Moby Dick, and um, who had and and who had sort of expressed an idea that that Melville had a had, that Moby Dick itself had a sort of Gnostic element, and had had mm-hmm. Melville Melville was interested in Gnosticism actually um, in the, the late nineteenth century. And so Weaver was was a Melville scholar who you know who was one of Blake's who was one of Ginsburg's um, tutors at, uh, at Columbia, professors at Columbia, and sort of seems to have turned Ginsburg on to Gnosticism a little bit while Ginsburg was still a student, so around the time of the Blake Vision, and then later on Ginsburg read uh, Hans Jonas's um, book, um, The Gnostic Religion, and it seems like that text was very much at the core of Ginsburg's understanding of Gnosticism, and it seems like even though Jonas's book, because of the the kind of l- the, the way in which the the Nag Hammadi discoveries and Nag Hammadi, they, that was also from the mid nineteen forties nineteen forty five was when Nag Hammadi yeah. was the Nag Hammadi texts were, were unearthed in Egypt um, these these Gnostic texts um, because of the way in which it took a very long time for the Nag Hammadi text to to actually be published and and to for there to be knowledge of them, even though they'd been dug up in 1945. Ginsburg's reading of Hans Jonas and um, of early uh, kind of scholarly work on Gnosticism didn't, although it was post-1945, it didn't actually include very much from Nag Hammadi. So, so Ginsburg was probably quite out of date in some ways in his, mm. in his kind of reading of Gnosticism. And also Hans Jonas has a very particular perspective on Gnosticism, which is quite far from you know, later uh, kind of scholarly perspectives on it. But nonetheless, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating how, how Ginsburg really um, becomes very fascinated by Gnosticism. And he's aware of, you know, he's interested, obviously, in the connections to Blake as well. Uh, but he'll, you know, he, he kind of reads, starts to read Gnostic texts and academic texts on Gnosticism uh, separately to Blake as well, separately to his Blakean uh, interests as well. Yeah, I mean, you you meant so. This is something that he's doing throughout his throughout his life, as I said, from the forties onwards. But he, the yeah, it seems to be particularly in the nineteen seventies, for whatever reason, that the Ginsburg really kind of reengages or more closely engages with Gnosticism. Um, and he, um, yeah, so nineteen sixty eight, he writes this poem called Plutonian Ode, and it's an interesting poem because it's. Um, so it's 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 very Ginsburg in the way that it's it's partly it's partly a an anti nuclear poem actually it comes out of his work uh, on opposing a nuclear weapons factory uh, in Boulder Colorado um, which was where he was partly living at that time because he'd founded this Buddhist university the Naropa Institute uh, in in Boulder um, so he and the other um, Faculty and students at, at Naropa were, you know, were very much involved in this this very active anti-nuclear campaign, 
which is sort of on their doorstep, and so he writes this poem, which is is directed at the element of plutonium. It's kind of addressed to the element <laughs> in a way, mm-hmm. uh, and it's but it's 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 kind of spiritualizing, uh, you could say, the element of plutonium, and it's associating it as its name suggests, you know, with the with the god Pluto. Uh, and so the poem is called Plutonian Ode rather than Plutonium Ode. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it's uh, and it's so, so it kind of um, Ginsberg's poem draws on Gnosticism as as a kind of way. In a way, it's the, the poem is almost sort of like yeah, it's addressed to the the element of Plutonium, and it's kind of. You could almost say it's kind of wanting to quite aggressively satirize and and criticize and sort of you know it's, it's almost like yeah it's, it's hard to explain it but to, to sort of um, attack the uh, or to, to, to reveal I suppose Ginsburg would have said kind of to reveal the sort of true identity of this of this element uh, and to sort of politicize it and spiritualize it and um, so he. Uh, there's there's a there's a section of the there's a section of the poem I've got got it here um, where he um, he addre- he's addressing plutonium uh, and Ginsberg writes uh, radioactive nemesis were you there at the beginning black dumb tongueless unsmelling blast of disillusion I manifest your baptismal word after four billion years I guess your birthday in Earthling night. I salute your dreadful presence, lasting, majestic as the gods. And then he re- and then he makes reference to different Gnostic and and uh, esoteric kind of um, gods. Uh, so so then he says, um, majestic as the gods, Sabaoth, Jehovah, Astapheus, Adonais, Elohim, Io, Yaldabaoth, Aeon from Aeon, born ignorant in an abyss of light. Sophia's reflections, glittering, thoughtful galaxies, whirlpools of star spume, silver thin as hairs of Einstein. So he's, you know, he's he's very directly referencing the Gnostic demiurge Yeldabaoth, mm. and he's kind of somehow wanting to um, associate the element of plutonium with with um, with Yeldabaoth, uh, which is, <laughs> is 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 interesting. Um, and this this partly came out of so Ginsburg had actually met and also corresponded with Gershom Scholem, uh, the the you know very well known almost sort of founding figure of of kind of academic study of um, of Jewish mysticism and mm-hmm. and obviously Gnosticism kind of plays into that or you know is connected to to, to that um, and I think Ginsburg had had kind of re I think he he may have first met. Sholem much earlier in the 60s but he I think he he began corresponding with Sholem in the late 70s and yeah as part of his his own sort of individual um kind of re uh you know research on esoteric subjects I suppose he you know he loved to write to people and talk to people I think he just got in touch with Sholem and sort of said remember me uh, you know hey I'm, I'm researching Gnosticism have I got this right you know and uh, yeah yeah and, um and so that was that was partly where this this poem came out of. Uh, so it's you know it's an interesting poem because it's there are 
we, there are Blakean elements in different parts of the poem, but mostly it's it's a, it's kind of using Gnosticism separately to to Blake, which is yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting given that a large part of of Ginsburg's kind of esoteric interests are, are sort of channeled through Blake. So this mm. this is sort of elements that's partly not channeled through Blake, I suppose you could say. Yeah, I thought it was an incredibly uh, powerful poem, and mm, it's mm. taunting uh, this mm, exactly, yeah. this uh, this element of plutonium uh, slash Yaldabaoth mm. uh, saying, I dare your reality, I challenge your very being, I publish your cause and effect, uh, I turn the wheel of mind on your 300 tons. Uh, your name enters mankind's ear. I embody your ultimate power. So it's like he's almost taking the power away from. Absolutely. From, I mean, it, it is a sort of a spell, you could say. Yes. I mean, it, it is. You know, it, it, it is a magical working, yeah. really. I mean, it's no, it's 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 Indeed, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so he he had he had actually. I mean, I just just to just to to complete that that thought on Ginsburg and Gnosticism. Sure. Um, he was very, you know. I mean, obviously, this is this is using Gnosticism in in relation to an anti anti nuclear and anti anti war poem. It's not, you know, the the campaign was against a nuclear weapons facility, so it wasn't even just against nuclear power. You know, this is this is very much part of a kind of Cold War, um, yes. you know, nucle- anti nuclear weapons sort of context. And so he's, you know, he's he's connecting Gnosticism to politics um, and to the anti war movement. And he, this is something that that he's very interested in doing, actually. And and so a little bit earlier in to, to this, in the early seventies, um, he'd recorded a an album of settings of Blake's um, songs, Blake's songs of innocence and experience. And Ginsburg, so Ginsburg, as well as being friends of Dylan and other other musicians, you know, did uh, produce some music himself and and some some um, recordings. And on the the sleeve notes to his to his 1970 album of, of Blake's songs, um, Ginsburg has this passage there in the sleeve. I mean, they're pretty unusual sleeve notes, but um, where he's again referencing Gnosticism, and, but but where he is um, connecting it very much to the kind of contemporary reality. And he he mentions he, he actually sort of connects um, Yaldabaoth with um, with Richard Nixon. Uh, so, if, uh, uh, do you mind if I if I read uh, you know a couple of oh, sentences please, from, please uh, do. from that? So, so Ginsburg writes in beginning the word, and then in brackets he writes Sophia, Mother Wisdom, Knowledge, Terza. Terza is one of Blake's kind of mythological characters. Uh, Flash imagined all aeons down to Jehovah's garden. The serpent was the caller of the great call disguised messenger from the abyss of light according to the mandaean gnostic heresy suppressed around 313 ad rome when constantine emperor and then ginsburg writes in brackets cia <laughs> um, accepted christ took over religion and suppressed revolutionary hip gnostic illumination of the fake authority of the material universe itself the Roman state co-opted religion at council of nicaea and burned all dissenting metaphysical doctrines this established the satanic state, presently headed by Richard Nixon, Jehovah in disguise, forgetting to whom he is beholden, son of Elohim, descendant of Yaldabaoth, only a flash of Sophia's consciousness, herself a flash of self, self-consciousness in the infinite abyss of light. 
so yeah you know i just love the way in which he's 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 you know bringing gnosticism and and contemporary american politics yes. together like that it's very syncretic in that regard he's mm. really blending a lot of different things and also, yeah, would you, would you say that Ginsburg was a bricoleur, that he kind of picked different elements out that, you know, that seemed to fit and work for him and kind of, you know, m melding them and assimilating them? Yeah, I mean, well, you can, I mean, the, there's a sort of element to the to Ginsburg's actual written style, which which connects to bricolage i suppose it, i mean you from that passage that i just read you can hear how he's he's actually missing out certain um uh, certain words certain um articles you know it's missing the and uh sometimes yeah. and sort of so so, so that you know there's a way in which he's sort of in a way is you know quite kind of heavy uh, message, complex language, but you know, but also mixed in with you know phrases like you know revolutionary hypnotic illumination, um, and and kind of bringing it all together. So yeah, that that there is an element to his to his later kind of style almost, I think, which which fits with what you're saying there about bricolage. I think there are possibly other. Beats who are more who you could see as kind of more connected to to something like that and and you know earlier on I just mentioned Burroughs and and his cut up course, uh, technique yeah. and I mean G Ginsburg was there when when Burroughs and Brian Geisen were were experimenting with with cut up uh, in the 1950s in in Paris uh, they were all living together in in the um, in the Beat Hotel as mm -hmm. it came to be known in mm -hmm. Paris. So Ginsburg was, you know, Ginsburg was, and Ginsburg was very much part of promoting and and um, helping Burroughs to get published as well. Uh, so you know, he was he was um, he was part of all, you know, the all, all of this. But uh, yeah, the I, I think you know maybe other other poets of of the time who are who are more clearly kind of bricolage like in you know in in, in their technique, but. Uh, but yeah, Ginsburg was also, a, you know, a kind of a magpie for information, for sure. I mean, however he worked that into his poetry or not, you know, he 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 was just a kind of voracious reader of of all sorts of different <laughs> yeah. kinds of texts and, and 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 interested in all sorts of different philosophical and uh, um, literary and political uh, things as well. And, he did a huge amount of research on, for example, you know, this is kind of taking things down a different track, but on um, the the CIA's uh, involvement in um, in the heroin trade in in Southeast Asia at the time of the you know the Vietnam War, um, and nobody really was researching that at the time. And it turned, you know, Ginsburg turned out to be right that uh, that you know there were all sorts of under underhand kind of things yeah. going on you know in in terms of that uh, that element of the of the drug trade in that in that period where america was uh, was involved in, in in all of that and yeah he did some pretty serious research on all of that and i think he even had a bet with uh, with the head of the cia that that he was right or something with <laughs> <laughs> by letter I, you know he loved to write to people <laughs> yeah it's very clear uh, learning more about uh, about ginsburg that is uh, his uh, range of interest mm. uh, his topics uh, were very broad in, in that regard 
Another interesting bit of information that uh, that you talk about in your work is that we've already mentioned Buddhism, of course, that he was uh, interested in that, but that he saw Buddhism and Gnosticism as being connected. Uh, can you explain this in more detail? And this might then, you know, come back mm. into this whole syncretic type mm. of uh, mm. argument. But uh, Yeah, so I think, I mean, first of all, it's interesting that, that Ginsburg is not the only person to have made these these kind of connections between Buddhism and, yeah. and Gnosticism. And it might at first kind of seem like a kind of a strange sort of connection to make. But I think some, something that Ginsburg himself was aware of and, and which various scholars have also pointed out is just how interconnected the, the ancient world was and just how, you know, uh, that, that, that there, there would have been historically, uh, you know, connections between uh the 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 near east and uh and europe and north africa and uh, all of the different religious spiritual traditions uh, uh and india um you know in that uh you know in that ancient world and and this was a you know totally a, a time in which uh it's very possible and likely that that uh, buddhists uh you know may have interacted with 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 gnostics and if, you know of course mm -hmm. they 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 also did in you know in in manichaeism for example you know which uh which seem you know is is seems to be almost this kind of syncretic religion that that definitely yeah. brought together those two um you know those two elements alongside others um so ginsburg was aware that you know historically it's you know it's quite possible that, that there would have been connections across the ancient world but i think his i mean in part, you know, these these were just two different kind of religious traditions that that he was he was interested in. So he wanted to kind of find connections between them. But I think it kind of makes sense. I think what what sort of makes sense in terms of Ginsburg's uh, perspective on this is this this idea that Gnosticism is sort of less concerned with with sort of sin and repentance in a way that more mainstream Christianity perhaps is, and more concerned with something more like individual enlightenment. And so that does seem to, to kind of connect to, to Buddhism. That that seems to... Mm, yeah. um, I think, you know, so I, I think, um, yeah, I think that that was sort of where, where Ginsburg was coming from. And it's it's interesting that he... So, as I said, most of Ginsburg's knowledge of Gnosticism actually seems to have come from sort of earlier scholarship, and he doesn't—I haven't found any evidence that Ginsburg really updates his his reading of of academic work on Gnosticism through the kind of late seventies, as the um, the Nagamadi texts start to be published. Um, uh, even though this was the period where Ginsburg was kind of getting back into Gnosticism I haven't actually found ref evidence that he was reading the kind of the latest the latest work on Gnosticism but so he doesn't seem for example have read Elaine Pagels um, who even though she was writing in the late 70s exactly when when he was um, getting into Gnosticism again um, but in you know in the Gnostic Gospels in in Pagels kind of famous you know popularizing text on Gnosticism from from I think it's from 79 Pagels herself also um, you know very clearly kind of makes this link or, or kind of speculates about yeah connections again between 
between Gnosticism and Buddhism. So um, she writes, instead of coming to save us from sin, this is talking about Jesus, uh, instead of coming to save us from sin, he comes as a guide who opens access to spiritual understanding uh, within Gnosticism. Um, she's saying sort of in contrast to a sort of, as I said, a kind of sin and repentance type mm. yeah, um, yeah. interpretation. And and she says, uh, does not this does not such teaching the identity of the divine and human, the concern with illusion and enlightenment, the founder who is represented not as a lord but as a spiritual guide, sound more Eastern than Western? Um, could Hindu or Buddhist tradition have influenced Gnosticism? So she was having the same, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that she was having the same thoughts at the same time mm. as Ginsburg independently, and you know, not saying that Ginsburg was a a scholar on the, you know, on the, you know, in the same way as, as you know, someone like Elaine Pagels. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting that in his own independent sort of way, he was coming right. to some similar conclusions. You know. Well, even if you're just looking at it more uh, just on a kind of a superficial level, mm, yeah. uh, Buddhism talks about, you know, that this world is an illusion, um, you know that yeah. about you mentioned before about non-attachment. That's that you know the the physical world really isn't uh, the goal. I guess in the yeah. end, yeah. you have to yeah. kind of uh, you know bypass the 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 physical to get to the to the spiritual. Gnosticism, kind of the basic tenets, is that you know the the body is the physical body is corrupt. That you know we have to like renounce the the physical yeah. world and. And focus our our attention on the spiritual because that's the the true reality. You can kind of start to see some, yeah, some similarities. And I don't, I don't want to like generalize, but like I said, if you're just looking very superficially, you might start to think, hey, these these ideas kind of sound like they're similar in a way. Absolutely, yeah. So, and I should probably mention that you know, so by this time, by the by the 70s, Ginsburg had had become a Buddhist as well. So he he had, you know, he had um, he had taken vows, uh, you know, in the uh, I think 1971 um, in Tibetan Buddhism. So um, he and he he became friends with and, and sort of follower of Chogyam Trungpa, and uh, part of that Tibetan Buddhist uh, tradition. And some, and, and interestingly, kind of remained close to Trungpa despite all of Trungpa's uh, sort of um, the scandals around him. I don't know if you know about that, but uh, this actually connected, you know, that, that, that this, this did actually even kind of influence um, Ginsburg's, uh, some of the other poets who, who Ginsburg was connected to in that period um, had their own kind of difficult run ins with Chogyam Trungpa, and there was a whole. Uh, political you know you could say political yeah. <laughs> thing to all of that but but yeah ginsburg he was always interested in you know even when he became a buddhist um he was interested in in connecting that obviously to his jewish roots um mm -hmm. and described himself as a sort of jewish buddhist um he was interested in connecting it to gnosticism as he read about gnosticism and he was interested in connecting Buddhism and Blake as well. So I think with the sort of complicated elements of of Blake's prophetic books, where where Blake has these so many different figures who are you know, sort of like deities, you might you might call them, um, or different representations of different spiritual elements or mental elements, and they all interact with each other and they have kind of complex relationships with each other and. 
and, and sometimes you know they they rep- represent different elements sometimes different directions you know um the cardinal directions and 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 all of this kind of fits together in a complicated way and ginsburg saw quite clearly that even though i don't think this was an influence on on blake he saw that you could you could quite easily connect this to like a sort of tibetan mandala where you have the you know the four directions and you have the different uh, deities uh, kind of interacting with each other and he was you know he he could see how uh, you know you could you could almost have a kind of tibetan buddhist reading of blake i suppose you could say right, you could right. you you know you could you, you know if you were into that uh, quite complex uh, kind of flowery um um you know buddhist tradition you know with all the different deities and demons and yeah that you you could kind of use that to help understand this equally complex um and world that the blake had created and you could you could sort of use it as a you know, even if it's just to sort of open your mind into to this to this to a, to a particular way of thinking mm. you know that that you could almost use tibetan buddhism as a if you had knowledge of that as a as a way to help uh read blake because he was you know for whatever reason just kind of using some some similar kind of mm. techniques yeah. it seems quite clear that ginsburg put a lot of thought into all of these different systems that he you know he mm. was interested in and tried to make some sense of it i guess for himself uh, that mm. was i guess most important for him that he it made sense for him um so but yeah i mean I guess with with I'm you know he was a creative guy you know he <laughs> just to put it very simply so it doesn't surprise me that he that he you know in his own world view that he would take all these different elements and then have a, a certain type of logic uh, that connected mm-hmm. them together so you know that's for me not not super surprising I just felt that um yeah as as I really didn't know that much about Ginsburg's background that that all of these more I guess what you could label esoteric influences had a, a big role which you know I I I don't know maybe if you can if you can speak to this if Ginsburg's you know esoteric uh interests if if he kind of was the outsider in that regard I mean I know I know that Burroughs was also interested in in occult uh, ideas, mm. uh, but you know, I'm like I said, I'm this is a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. Mm. It's not really my area of specialty, so I'm not really certain as to the importance of you know of esoteric thought in mm. the general beat uh, mm. beat poets, you know, mm. uh, movement. If you can say something yeah, about that, I, I would say that that different forms of, of esoteric thought were really crucial to to most of the beats, but also, to, as I said earlier, to the you know, in a way that the beats existed within a broader uh, grouping of sometimes called the new New American poetry, um, which included a lot of poets who, in different ways, were you know became perhaps associated with counterculture or not, but who certainly saw themselves as even just in in strictly kind of poetic terms, kind of rebelling against a more restrictive mm, um, yeah. form of more academic kind of poetry, mm-hmm. I suppose. 
And so within this kind of broader grouping um, that Ginsburg was also kind of part of, um, some of whom might have described themselves as beats, but many of which many of them didn't. And it, you know, beat, beat itself became a very contested term. And, you know, even Kerouac himself, who, you know, possibly was the originator of the term, you know, later <laughs> had had problems with it or had different kind of ideas about what it what it really meant or what it didn't mean and um who was a beat and who wasn't and um it's a <laughs> the, the whole terminology around around beat is is a whole other subject <laughs> in itself <laughs> but um but but yeah many of these poets uh, if if we if we're looking at poetry and literature um yeah were deeply into all different esoteric systems and some, I mean, all from different, different kind of um, angles and different ways in which they'd got into it as well. I, remember, I mentioned a poet called Robert Duncan earlier on. Um, Robert Duncan had grown up in a theosophist household. He'd grown up with parents oh. who were theosophists. So clearly, yeah. <laughs> clearly he was going, he was going to end up yeah. uh, kind of bringing lots of esoteric stuff into his poetry. Exactly. Um, you know, and and. You know Ginsburg with his with his Jewish background, uh, you know although his his parents were you know were more kind of um, uh, into socialism and communism uh, you know than than they were uh, you know the Kabbalah um, you know still he you know he had a Jewish esoteric uh, background available there at least to right. you know yeah. to kind of draw on yeah. Yeah, so no, definitely, and and I mean, you you've had as a guest Tommy Cowan um, yeah. <laughs> talking about uh, Burroughs and, and Gnosticism, and and exactly. um, and I really liked the way that he he sort of used, Cowan, you know, uses this term archontic um, mm. to 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 kind of refer to a you know a kind of key element of Gnosticism, you know, around this this idea of the the archons, these these kind of figures who uh, who are sort of you know, control the rulers. You know, who are kind of controlling, uh, controlling the world, and and that's that almost kind of, I suppose you could say, more paranoid kind of element to um, <laughs> to Gnosticism. Uh, you know, was obviously something that fit very well with with Burroughs's uh, worldview, and mm-hmm. you know, and Ginsburg, I suppose, generally was much more upbeat and kind of um, uh, lighter kind of. Um, more optimistic, I suppose you might say. Yeah, I think perspective on the things you know. The, definite the difference in um, uh, in approaching it the way they yeah, viewed it. I think, yeah. yeah, I think Burroughs was a little bit more, yeah, and and because he talked about possession and he talked about, yeah, there's like, yeah, it seemed to be a little darker uh, in nature, mm. uh, but also the the magical uh, mm. element of yeah. the cut up technique. You know, exactly. that that's, it's a mag- that's a magical technique as well. So, yeah. so, yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I was talking earlier about Ginsburg's poem *Plutonian Ode*, this 1978 poem, as partly a kind of a spell, almost yeah. a kind of binding spell mm. on on the element of plutonium. But Ginsburg had already in in the 1960s he'd already written, uh, so he wrote a poem in 1965 called *Wichita Vortex Sutra*, uh, which 
again is 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 you could see as a sort of you know using language to to create some sort of magic uh which would influence politics and and this this is a poem which is is about the vietnam war and which is also a kind of intervention into the vietnam war in a poetic political countercultural way but also in a way in a in a sort of magical way he actually mm. there's a there's a section of the poem where he he kind of symbolically or magically declares the end of the vietnam war i hear declare the end of war he says and and the idea is that yeah that that he can you he can somehow sort of harness language to to create some some sort of real world magical effect yeah play, invoking his will and mm, and mm. yeah putting that out there into the into the world um mm. yeah that's one way of looking at uh, at magic it's uh, you know enforcing your will upon uh, mm, uh, on mm. a situation mm. so yeah definitely very very interesting uh very interesting stuff that you're talking about here <laughs> Uh, you often, you've already mentioned that that Ginsburg was um, was attempting to achieve a Blakeian revival in, in general mm. with with everything that he was doing within the you know these these decades that he was you know writing his own poetry of course but with the music and with the other meetings that he would have with other people other gatherings and you know all the the, the number of different things that he was uh, involved with. In your opinion, how successful was Ginsburg in his efforts to ignite this Gnostic slash Buddhist slash Blakeian ideal within the popular society, the the, the contemporary culture? Uh, can we see any evidence of other artists within this same time period and even today? Uh, artists, authors, musicians—you know, kind of like the the, the whole lot. If you, if, you know, under the the header of art, uh, who are now carrying on the torch, so to speak. Mm. Well, I mentioned the idea of Blake spotting earlier on, and just mm. sort of finding Blake wherever you look. You know, and that's you know, I think that gets easier and easier. You know, Blake does really seem to have escaped from you know from. Uh, in his lifetime where he was so un unknown outside a very small circle, you know, and then through different periods where he was perhaps kind of popular within different countercultural uh, or esoteric sort of circles, you know. And there have been different times where Blake has certainly been very unpopular within the academy as well and within sort of academic study of English literature, you know, mm. where Blake has been very out of fashion as well. And and he definitely seemed, you know, in recent years, probably post 1960s, you know, Blake has definitely escaped from all of those bounds, you know, and and he's he's kind of everywhere you look, really. Um, so just yeah, just just focusing on Blake. I mean, there are different figures who are kind of you could almost associate with a kind of post beat movement. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of someone like Patti Smith, mm. um, who who was very, you know, who's good friends with Ginsburg and with Dylan and um, and with other Beats, and um, who has very much continued to carry a sort of Beat Blake uh, torch uh, onwards, and um, is, she she wrote a, wrote a preface to a collection of Blake's work just recently, actually as well. Oh, okay. um, and there's a there's a 
there's a um, spoken word artist uh, called Kay Tempest, British uh, artist who's who's very very much influenced by Blake uh, currently. You know, younger uh, I suppose younger generation. Um, but yeah, I mean, Blake, you know, Blake. The more you look for Blake, and and there have been several very popular um, studies of Blake recently as well that have been written, sort of, sort of, you know, on the boundary between acad- you know, academia and and kind of popular writing, I suppose. Um, there's a there's an author called John Higgs, um, who also lives here in Brighton, actually, where I live, uh, who who just recently wrote a very um, yeah very popular kind of kind of author, partly partly biographical, but partly sort of um, just popular study of, of William Blake that was yeah that was was very um very widely read and very very widely reviewed um in terms of the sort of you know the broadening it beyond the just the the, the ongoing process of Blake's kind of popularization and Blake's kind of taking a the the Blakeian takeover, you know, as Blake's <laughs> aphorisms just spread out into the into the popular culture and the ether to the extent that we don't even realise they're coming from Blake. Um, I mean, I'm interested in the way in which, in the current, as as I know you are, you know, in in the current period of right, you know, right now, our own contemporary period, you know, that esotericism is is has become so much more. There's so much more interest in in all different aspects of esotericism, and that, yeah, and all. I mean, I'm I'm also interested in the sort of what you might describe as a sort of darker side of that, and the way in which it feeds into to the you know the the right wing as well, and you know mm-hmm. QAnon and mm-hmm. and all of that. And I can see, you know, I can see ways in which the, well, obviously a kind of Gnostic, archontic view of reality uh, fits quite closely with that. I'm sure you know, that is absolutely not what, you know, not what Ginsburg would have wanted, because Ginsburg was very much, you know, on the left of politics. Um, but other, you know, other figures, we look, we think of someone like Burroughs, you know, Burroughs, Burroughs is kind of, own politics, you know, were probably quite a bit more complicated, you know, than mm. than that. Um, and then, you know, if we look at Kerouac, you know, Kerouac, uh, you know, didn't didn't last that long. Uh, you know, unfortunately, died at the end of the sixties. Uh, but Kerouac's politics really were not actually left wing at all. I mean, Kerouac actually, um, partly, I think, just because he wanted to annoy the other beats and he wanted to kind of <laughs> do his own thing. But, you know, he was a supporter, basically, of the Vietnam War. And, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, he had a whole he had a whole other perspective on the world going on, right. you know, despite being close friends with Ginsburg, lifelong, you know, close, you know, buddies, you know, that, but mm-hmm. um, so and, you know, and of course, Kerouac had uh, I don't think Carrack had so much of an interest in Blake, but uh, but of course he you know he he had a strong interest in Buddhism, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'd, so I mean I'm I'm interested in in the where we are in the current kind of moment in terms of different esoteric ideas that have sort of spread in interesting directions, both within. Um, yeah, within literature, um, but also and, and and music and and other kind of popular culture, but also within sort of 
yeah, the, the kind of dark counterculture that's, mm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that has kind of emerged in recent years as well. Yeah, with the conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that. And what I find interesting is how present uh, esoteric ideas are, regardless of what's what side you're on or if it's, if it's a little darker or if it's a little bit mm. more, you know, easily uh, <laughs> recept, you know, received, that it's just so prevalent mm. and that people don't even realize that that's mm. what it is. Mm. And, mm. of course, that's the, the term, a culture, that, yeah. it, you know, it's just everywhere. It is just, you know, people just take it for granted that it's there. And I think that you can see it now, uh, clearly that this um, there's like a renewed interest in everything uh, esoteric and occult. Uh, whereas, you know, in the past years that was kind of, you know, poo-pooed and let's not, uh, let's not make any popular shows about it or popular series of books about it or make any music with references to it. There was, there was kind of a, a lull in, in popular culture for a period of time. And now there's just this resurgence. It's like everywhere you look, there's a new whatever. Whatever you're looking at, there's just something new with all of these, uh, yeah, esoteric slash occult uh, influences. Uh, and I like, I like looking at all of that. I like looking at the, you know, kind of the weird stuff and the, the fringe stuff. But you don't even really have to look there to find it. You can look at the most normal, you know, quote unquote, normal thing and find it. So I just, uh, yeah, I like, I like talking about that. I like thinking about that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about shows, you know, I'm a big fan of stranger things and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, because I, I haven't found any, Lake, I don't think, is Stranger Things. Although I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's there. But of course, that you know, there is a that that the, the, the count, even though it's you know, it's it's so much about eighties and eighties nostalgia, you know, rather than kind of sixties or seventies. There is clearly a kind of countercultural mm. element there. Um, not only with the you know the sort of MK Ultra sort of references and right. all of that, but um, but also like. You know, funny little little things like Winona Ryder herself. You know, you know, you yeah. know that, that you know she's she's the son of she's the daughter sure. of um of Michael Horowitz, who was um who was Timothy Leary's archivist and and kind yeah. of personal assistant, and um and well, she and, and she grew up around Ginsburg. You know, Ginsburg yeah. was was a family friend. You know, but wasn't uh, Timothy Leary her godfather? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she was totally so, in that. Environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just fits perfectly that she should be playing a character in you know in this series. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Now I understand that uh, you have a book that you're working on, and uh, I don't know how close you are to uh, to publishing it yet. But uh, can you share a bit about it? And, and sure, yeah. I mean, I've so I I finished my PhD seven years ago now and I've been you know I've been I've been trying to publish a version of it ever since um and I've I've sort of encountered the same thing that uh you know many many people coming to the end of their PhDs you know in in recent years have just how difficult it is to Mm -hmm. basically to get an academic job 
And so I'm, right. I'm actually currently working outside of academia, although I've continued to, to publish since my PhD and many of the publications that are there on academia.edu are actually things that I've written since finishing the PhD. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, so my, my book, which is a kind of version of the PhD, um, but, uh, you know, re reframed, uh, it's called William Blake and Allen Ginsberg, Romanticism, Counterculture and Radical Reception. So it, it, it covers a lot of the things that, that we've just been talking yeah. about. Um, I d it doesn't have a, a release date yet. And um, as I said, in okay. part, that, that really is just because currently I actually do not have very much time to work, to work on it, which is a real shame. But uh, yeah, this, that's how life that's how life is. And, I understand. Yeah. Well, just, I'll just have to be patient along with everybody else. So, okay. Well, that's good to know that there's, it's, it's, Going to be coming sometime in the in the future. It is. Okay. And in, in the in the meantime, as you know, as you've mentioned, uh, I have a quite a range of different articles and chapters which have been published in different books and and um, academic journals, but which I've just put up on yeah. academia.edu so that they can achieve a bit of a wider audience. Of course, there's plenty to read. So how can people find you on the internet? Say they want to contact you because they have a, a lovely little anecdote that they want to share with you or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'm, as, a, as we said, I'm on academia.edu. Um, I'm on Twitter still, despite everything. <laughs> you know. um, so um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Dr. Luke Walker. Um, and that's about it. I'm not on Facebook. Okay. Uh, but uh, you, can, you can get in touch with me pretty right. easily. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, we'll just hope that Twitter doesn't uh, implode any time in the near yeah. future. I think, Mike, you can find a, you can find how to contact me through academia.edu as well. I exactly, think. exactly. Okay. Well, Luke, I want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing all of these insights with me today. I really found this discussion so interesting, um, and I yeah just. And I, just a learning uh, experience for me as well. And, and it clearly shows the influence of esotericism uh, and esoteric ideas in, in culture uh, with the figure of, of Allen Ginsberg. Many thanks. Thanks, Stephanie. It was great to talk to you too. Well, I'd like to wish you all the best for uh, the holidays in the new year. And yeah, we'll just we'll just keep in touch with each other as we uh, as we have been doing uh, through Twitter. We'll just we'll just keep our fingers crossed that Twitter is going to survive, and <laughs> we'll just we'll just carry on. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and I, I you know I, I love your show. I really you know you've had some some great guests over the. Thank over, you. Over I really appreciate that. your support. You're always one of the one of the people on Twitter that's always reposting things and putting. I like you know, to put, comment on the <laughs> ones that I particularly enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, and thank you again for for talking with me today. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion with Dr. Luke Walker. My thanks again to Luke for his work and for making the time to talk with me. Please check out the links in the program notes for articles, a detailed list of Luke's publications, as well as some other resources that you might be interested in. I can hardly believe that we're already nearing the end of 2022. Time certainly flies by when you're doing what you love. I'd like to extend my deepest thanks to all of you out there who listen to the podcast and watch my YouTube videos, 
plus, of course, all of my wonderful guests over this past year. I couldn't have done any of this without all of you. Wishing you all a wonderful and joyful holiday season and a prosperous new year. See you in 2023.